0: I invite you to open your Bibles now to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 21 this morning of Philippians 3. Although our text is verses 17 through 21, I'd like for you to back up, and we'll start in verse 12, and read all the way through 21. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many are as perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. Verse 17, brothers, Join in following my example and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even crying as enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach, and glory is in their shame, who set their thoughts on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by his working through which he is able to even subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are able to come together this morning as your people who belong to you, those whom you've called out of darkness into your marvelous light, those whom you chose before time again predestined to save your sheep. I ask that as we look into your word this morning, that you would open all of our eyes to the truths in it, that we would be changed and conformed into the image of Christ, that we would love you more and therefore serve you more because of everything you have done for us, everything you are doing for us now, and for everything that is to come. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Although the section we're looking at this morning is specifically verses 17 through 21, I wanted to read that whole section because it builds upon Paul's argument starting in verse 12 that though he has not attained perfection, he presses on towards that goal. That pursuit of Christlikeness is summed up in one word which is sanctification. That is the goal of the Christian life, beloved. From the moment we are regenerated, having come to Christ in repentance and faith, to the moment we breathe our last and depart and be with the Lord, or if he comes back before that time, that process in between is sanctification. And we looked at that last time, verses 12 through 16, what that looks like. In sanctification and becoming more and more like Christ, we are putting sin to death in our lives and increasing in righteousness and good works. Becoming less and less like the world and more and more like the Savior who bought us. To sum it up, from the words of John the Baptist in John 3.30, he said that he, being Christ, must increase And I must decrease. That is the goal of our life. It's to be sanctified. To become more and more like Christ. That he every day would increase more and more in our lives. And that our old self would decrease. Sanctification, beloved, is the fixed reality for all true believers. There is no such thing as a stagnant. Sanctification, that's an oxymoron. Sanctification is an ongoing process for the believer. It never stops, and it matters. That is the here and now. That is where we live as believers, is in the process of sanctification. The last time I taught on Philippians 12 through 16, I I used an illustration of when I was about 13 years old, and I went into a bookstore, and the bookstore had a beginning, or the bookstore, the book in the bookstore had a beginning and it had an end, but it had no middle. And I brought the book up to the clerk and I said, there's no middle. And she said, you're exactly right. Read the back. And the author said, the middle doesn't matter. You know, that what matters is, you know, it had a beginning and then he had a happy ending, you know, but the middle doesn't really matter. But that's so silly because in the Christian life, beloved, the middle matters. The here and now matters. We must pursue sanctification. We must press on towards Christ-likeness. And though sanctification is personal in that Christ is sanctified in each and every one of his sheep, it is collective in that we are not alone and left to ourselves in the process of sanctification. One of the means by which God uses to help us on the path of our sanctification is his church. All believers are being sanctified. And on the path of sanctification, he uses other believers to help us along the way. Which is where we find ourselves in verse 17. So look with me. Previously, in verse 16, Paul says we are to keep walking to the same standard. And then in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in following my example and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul here is exhorting the church, Brothers, join in following me. Now, why does Paul say this? Is Paul... Seeking to gain some sort of advantage by building up a following? No. Is Paul proud, trying to gain a following? Not at all. Is Paul claiming to be perfect, which is why we should follow him? No. Paul's not perfect. Nobody had to tell Paul that he was acutely aware and acquainted with his failures. He tells us in 1 Timothy 1.15, he is the chief of sinners. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12, he even pointed out that he has not reached perfection. So then why does Paul say, brothers, join in following me? He exhorts the church to do this simply because of his genuine concern for their sanctification. And may I exhort all of us, Paul's concern should be ours. Not just for our own, but for our brothers and sisters around us. We ought to be concerned if our brothers and sisters, let alone ourselves, are not growing in Christ's likeness. That should be our concern. His concern is that the church would continue to press on towards Christ's likeness. Paul says I haven't attained to it. But I press on. I forget what lies behind me. Past sins. Past failures. Even past achievements. It doesn't matter. I'm pressing on to become more and more like Christ. And so should we. We are to continue in our road, our process of becoming more and more Christ-like by following, as Paul says, godly examples. Brothers, join in following my example. Why? Why should we? If you are striving to live the Christian life, and I hope that you are, if you are striving to be more and more like Christ, then we ought to be following godly examples that follow Christ. This isn't anything new that Paul has said. Paul said this often. He even said it in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He says to the church there, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Paul only wants to be followed in so far as he follows Christ. We must have godly examples in our life. And God has provided and given those in his church. Examples on what it means to follow and pursue Christ. I want to give you an illustration. Imagine You go hiking up in the Rocky Mountains, and you make a wrong turn, and you get lost, and you're stuck, and you need help getting down out of that mountain. I know that's hard to imagine because we're here in West Texas, large open desert. But if you're stuck up there in that mountain, who do you want helping you get down out of that mountain? An experienced hiker who's done it for decades, who's made plenty of mistakes, who's not perfect, but knows what he's talking about. Who's been taught by perfect instructors. Who knows the mountain forwards and backwards. Or do you want to be led and follow an inexperienced hiker who does whatever they want, who has no stability, although they claim to know it all? Well, obviously the first choice, right? Imagine you're in a battle and you're in the trenches. Who are you taking orders from? The guy who just got out of military school or the guy who's been in the trenches for weeks? Who's made mistakes, but who knows what to avoid? Who knows what to do? Who closely follows after the chief commander? I think you guys understand The illustration here we need godly examples in our lives to follow after in the pursuit of Christ likeness. Remember beloved that we are in a spiritual battle. This life. Is and will be fraught with trials testing suffering fighting sin. And on the road of sanctification, who do you want to follow? Those with the same goal in mind, those who are pursuing Christ along with me, who aren't perfect, but who know and love the Savior, who have walked with the Lord. That's who we ought to follow. We should follow Paul because Paul is a great example of what it looks like for a fallen sinner to follow Jesus. And that's all of us. We are all fallen sinners. But how should we follow him? Follow Paul in what ways? Simply this, in his perseverance, in his love and service to the church, in his humility. Did Paul love the church? Yes, Paul loved the church. He says, above all else, above the beatings, above being shipwrecked, above being imprisoned, in which he is in a prison right now, writing this letter. He says, my greatest concern is for the churches. We follow Paul in those ways as he follows Christ. Christ. However, Paul also says in verse 17, and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Look here means to be observant, to be intently watchful to those who walk the same way he does. So here, Paul isn't even just limiting it to his example alone but also to the example of others who are following Christ, who are on the road of sanctification, whose lives are marked the same. Which says we don't just need one sole person, we need each other. We need Paul's in our life. We need many, multiple godly examples in our lives that we can closely model after and follow after because they closely follow Christ. So with that too, beloved, only follow someone as close as they follow Christ. Only listen to that podcast in so much as they follow Christ. And believe me, there is nothing more beautiful there is nothing better, there is there's nothing sweeter than seeing the way one lives matching their profession. How one conducts their life, their, their, their pattern of life, their walk, if you will, that Paul says several times, matches what they profess. And this is what I love about our church, our little oasis in the desert is that our church is filled with people whose lives match their profession. Not perfect people, but people who love Christ, who love his word, who seek to serve him and obey him. It shows up in their life. In their affections, what they're devoted to, serving the saints, sitting under and loving the word of God, not ever able to get enough of it. What we have together as a church is what the lost and dying world does not have because they do not have Jesus. But for those of us who know Christ, we have the Lord. We know the uncreated one. And his plan for us is to sanctify us, to make us like him. And so he has given us, his church, godly examples to follow after To encourage us on the road of sanctification. We have each other. The consistency in our lives is important. And I'm so glad that our church is filled with people whose lives are consistent with what they profess. And may I just say what an encouragement this church is to me to keep on pursuing that sanctification, to keep on following Christ. You think you can follow Jesus on your own? How many of you think you can? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But how many think you can follow Christ on your own? It's like going into the battlefield with no game plan, no field strategy. That's silly. None of us can live the life Christ has called us to on our own. He has given us so much. He has given us himself. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his church with godly examples to follow after. So look for those, beloved, who are following Christ. Find Paul's in your Life. Observe them. Watch their life. Follow them. Model their pattern as they model Christ. You want to be mature in Christ? You want to be sanctified and become more and more like Christ? Then look after and follow those who are mature. Follow those who follow Christ. And set an example to those who are watching I need this. You need this. To be strengthened. To persevere. We're not left to our own devices. But we have the church. Here Paul is really saying. Imitate me. He is saying imitate me. As I imitate Christ. We all imitate something. What do you imitate? People imitate what they love, right? It shows up in their lives. Shows up in how they live, what they do, how they talk. Silly example, but people on social media You see what they love because they imitate that. Or the youth in our church who love a silly movie imitate the characters in that film. What we love is what we imitate. Beloved, what do you imitate? What you love and imitate shows up in your life. And if we are being sanctified, then we ought to have godly examples in our life that we are able to imitate as they follow Christ, as we follow Christ. We are all on this journey of pursuing Christ-likeness, which is why we need each other in this journey to help strengthen and lift up one another because none of us have made it. I mean, my goodness, if Paul says I'm far from it and this is the apostle Paul, then how far behind does that make me? Right? We all need to keep pursuing because none of us have made it because I am too weak on my own. And I not only need Christ and his word, I need those who are on the same path as me to help encourage me and strengthen me. And the very fact that we have not made it necessitates our need for each other in this journey. Brothers, join in following my example and look for those according to the pattern you have in us. There are godly examples we need to look out for and watch for and be models after. Conversely, there are those who we need to watch out for, for other reasons. Those who we need to avoid and be on guard against. Look at verse 18. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even crying, as enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach, In glory is in their shame, who set their thoughts on earthly things. This is a very sad but sobering reality that we all need to be aware of and guard against, and that is the reality that in the church there are false believers and false teachers. Paul is not talking about here those who openly reject Christ. Rather, those who profess him. I am a believer. I am a Christian. I know the Lord. But whose pattern says differently. It's what he says. Verse 18, for many walk, he's talking about their pattern of life of whom I often told you and now tell you even crying as enemies of the cross of Christ. They profess him, but their lives, their pattern of life does not match up with their profession. Notice Paul's attitude here. He tells the church weeping, crying, that these people who profess to know Jesus who say that they love him, who go to church on Sundays, who hear the same sermons, who sing the same hymns, in fact, do not know him. Their life does not match up with what they say. And he tells the church weeping. Beloved, there is no joy in the reality of false believers And false teachers. Not just because. Of their position before God. And that they are just heaping up judgment on themselves. But because of the havoc. They wreak on the church. If we were to go back earlier in a couple chapters. Paul references these same people. He says they preach Christ out of envy. And strife. They, they look the part. They speak Christianese pretty well. But their motives are wrong. Their motives reveal their heart, and their heart shows that they are not truly believers. There's nothing more gut-wrenching to me than looking on social media. It seems like every other day now in hearing of or seeing another believer who once looked really strong, but now it has come out that they are in fact an enemy of the cross of Christ, that they were never a true believer to begin with. Nothing is more devastating than that. Now we need to know that this is a reality In the church, Paul warns against this several times in Scripture. Acts 20 says, Savage wolves will come among the flock, not outside the flock, but from within the flock. Even our Lord in Matthew 24 and Matthew 7 tells us that there will be false teachers and false believers among us. So we need to be careful of them. We need to watch Everyone's life closely. But notice what Paul says here. Let's get to the heart of it. Because he doesn't say that they're enemies of Christ. They profess and they claim to love him. He doesn't say that they hate Christ. He doesn't say that they don't serve him. This group probably does a lot in the church. He doesn't even say that they are enemies of Christ. He says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they hate, they loathe what Christ did on the cross. Now this is huge. This is important. If someone were to ask you, beloved, what does the cross of Christ mean to you? What would you say? What would your response be? What happened on the cross? On the cross, Christ accomplished redemption for His sheep. On the cross of Christ, He atoned and paid for all the sins in full of everyone who would ever believe in Him. On the cross, Christ absorbed The wrath of God that should have been poured out on us. We glory in the cross. For those who belong to Christ. We love and cherish and cling to that cross. Because that is where Jesus put an end to sin. We love what Christ did on the cross. The cross is a picture of Sin being put to death. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to read quite a few verses, but you'll see it. And I think be encouraged here. Paul says, starting in verse 1 of Romans 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He says, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died has been justified from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also be raised with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is a master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. A lot there. But here's the point in verse six. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. So that we're no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of him who bought us. Slaves of righteousness. If you are in Christ beloved. Understand this. When Christ died on the cross. So did you. So did your sin. Your old person. And everything you once loved. Every vain thing. Died on the cross of Christ. Was put to death. And having been regenerated. Regenerated. And having come to Christ in repentance and faith, that sin you once loved and held on to so dearly was put to death so that now you hate it. What you once loved, sin, filth, the muck and the mire, has now become vile to you, distasteful. To those that are the enemy of the cross of Christ. They hate the cross of Christ because they love their sin. Christ died for their sin. For those who come to him. And if Christ died for sins. And if we have come to him in faith. Then we now hate and give up our sins. But that's what the enemies of the cross of Christ don't want to do. Is give up. Their sin. One writer said it this way. To be an enemy of the cross is to set oneself against its purposes. To be an enemy of the cross of Christ is to set oneself against its purposes. The purpose of the cross was to put sin to death. Was to atone for sins. And that's what these people are enemies of here because they love their sin. They don't want to give it up. They hate what Christ did on the cross because if they come to Christ in repentance and faith, that means they must give up their sin, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Christ. And they don't want to do that. They are enemies of what Christ has done for his elect, his sheep, because they love their sin. Look at verse 18, or excuse me, 17. He now gives us the characteristics of these enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach, and glory is in their shame, who set their thoughts on earthly things. Here he gives their characteristics in rapid succession. He says their end is destruction, now, this is not referring to eternal damnation, eternal judgment, although that is true. But here, what, is ta- what Paul is talking about is moral ruin, moral collapse. It'll eventually show up in their lives, those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, there is no joy but only heartbreak when we see those who claim to love Christ, who claim his name, eventually finds out and comes out moral scandal, moral failure. It's really where it starts with, because again, they love their sin, they hold on to its sin, and so it only manifests itself in more and more sin, which leads to moral ruin and decay. A second characteristic he gives, he says, whose God is their stomach. In other words, they serve their fleshly wants and desires, sinful desires. Third characteristic is they set their minds on earthly things. They only think about what is in this world. What they can get from this world. They are stuck and fixed on temporal things that have no eternal value. Things that Christ died for. That will end up, end up burning in the end. They are worldly and they are marked by worldliness. They may speak the part. They may play the part well on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. But in their life, in their hearts... This is what characterizes them is worldliness. This is the exact opposite of what should characterize true believers, right? The apostle John in 1 John 2:15 through 16 says, "Beloved, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you don't know him. You don't know Christ." For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, sounds like enemies of the cross of Christ, lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. These enemies of the cross of Christ love the world and hate the cross because, as I said earlier, in coming to Christ in repentance and faith, truly coming to Him, you have to give up your sin. You must repent. And place your faith in him. And the unregenerate aren't concerned with putting sin to death. They aren't concerned with sanctification. What Paul says we ought to be pressing on towards. They're not concerned with knowing Christ. And being Christ like. They want and see Jesus as this. Genie in a bottle who will give them what they want and save them from the consequences of their sin, but not the sin itself. Nobody wants to go to hell. But when you start talking about giving up your sin and repenting, ooh, well, I I, I want to hold on to that. These are the crowds we see in the Gospel of John that Brian has been talking about so much who come to Jesus for what? He can give them, but when he calls them to himself, they find the nearest exit and they dash. Beloved, what is your response to the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ demands that we repent and believe in him. What is your response? Do you glory in it? Do you love it? Do you cherish and cling to it? Or do you... I don't know. Because you're holding on to sin. I don't have to tell you what your response is. You know in your heart already whether you're an enemy of the cross of Christ or not. But if you have come to Christ, truly come to Him, then that old self and all that sin was crucified with Christ. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you won't have moments of sin in your life. But as Paul says, press on. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on towards Christ likeness. It does, however, mean when you do sin, you are sick of sin. Because you love the cross of Christ, you understand what happened. On the glorious cross of Christ. And you seek to put it to death. Now look at verse 20 and 21. Paul says for our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly await for a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body. Of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. By the working through which he is able to even subject all things to himself. So Paul is saying in this section as a whole. Starting back from verse 12 that we are to pursue and press on in our sanctification. Having godly examples in our lives to show us what it means and looks like to follow after Christ. We are to pursue that we are to stay the course we are to fight the good fight looking for others who do the same because this world is not our home because our citizenship is in heaven This these two little verses here may seem like an abrupt transition talking about following examples to enemies of the cross of Christ to our citizenship is in heaven It's not an abrupt transition Here Paul is talking about our future glory. What we're pressing on to. Whereas sanctification is complete. Our citizenship is in heaven. That ought to give you all comfort and all joy. Especially in the day and age we're living in. That this world is not our home. People become... Citizens of where they are because of what they are pursuing. It makes up. It's what makes up the place that people move there and become citizens, right? A new person comes to Midland. You ask them, why'd you move here? Not scenery, but oil, right? Oil. Freedom, maybe. Or you ask somebody, why'd you move to California? Gold rush, warmer climate, more humidity. Or why'd you move to Montana? You know, beauty, farming, all right? Enemies of the cross of Christ aren't pursuing heaven. They're pursuing worldly things because they aren't citizens of heaven, they pursue the world because they are citizens of the world. And all that is in it, as the Apostle John said, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. But our pursuit as God's elect, His sheep, is that of knowing Christ, serving Him. Righteousness, justice, truth, sinlessness, God's glory, Everything that makes up heaven. That is what we love. That is what we pursue. And that is what makes up heaven. This world is not the end for us. This world is not our home, beloved. Our home is in heaven with God. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are pursuing that place. Because what makes up that place, righteousness, sinlessness, justice, truth, God's glory, is what we love. Becoming a citizen of a country or a a city or a place means you get all the rights and benefits of that kingdom in which you reside. And in that kingdom, we will be with the king, Jesus And all its citizens worship and worshiping and serving him forever. Everything Paul has exhorted us to do up to this point is preparing us for this future glory. He describes our citizenship in heaven. That king of that kingdom, heaven, is coming back again to get us. And to take all its citizens with him. Christ is coming again. That's exactly what he's talking about. In verses 20 through 21. We are eagerly awaiting his coming. Who will transform our body of humble state into conformity with the body of. Of his glory, we eagerly wait like a child on Christmas Eve. But even more so than that. Greater than my desire to go to Shepherds Conference or to Disney World when I was younger. Is waiting for Christ to come back and get me. To take me up with him and to transform my body into conformity with his it couldn't come sooner i cannot wait for christ to return and to get us to completely and finally transform us into his image what a day that will be can you imagine what that will be like when Christ raises us up to be with him, transforming our bodies so that we are fit to spend eternity with him. No more sickness, no more imperfections, and no more sin. What a glorious day that will be. That is what we are to be eagerly awaiting for. That is why we are to pursue sanctification, because it prepares us for future glory. We eagerly await for this day because it is our hope. 1 John 3, 2-3, through the Apostle John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been manifested as yet what we will be. We know that when he is manifested, that is Christ, when he comes again, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself as he is pure. It is our purifying hope knowing that Christ is coming again to keep on pursuing him, to keep pressing on and not giving up. Be aware and be watchful of false teachers of false believers. Guard yourselves against them. By surrounding yourselves. With godly examples. Whose lives match their profession. Who follow after love. And know Christ. And don't give up. Keep pressing on beloved. We need each other. To encourage us. To pursue Christ's likeness as we all eagerly await that glorious day. Don't stop pursuing Christ. Keep pressing on. Though we get weary of trials. Though we get weary of sin. We will be glorified. We will be glorified. I know it's a familiar portion of scripture, but I can't help but turning there. Please turn to Romans 8 real quick. Romans 8. Verse 28. Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together according for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. Because those whom He formed knew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Not only did He predestine to save you, He predestined to sanctify you. You were saved to be sanctified. You were saved so that you would be conformed into the image of Christ that you would press on. And as sure as your election was, as sure as your calling was, as sure as your sanctification is, so also is your glorification. Verse 30, he tells us that in those whom he predestined, he also called. and those whom he called, he also justified. and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul speaks of our glorification as if it's already happened. Because it is so sure of it. Because nothing can change it. Keep pressing on. It's going to happen. Christ is coming again. So we keep pressing on. Can I say it enough? We keep pressing on. Don't give up, beloved. Keep pursuing Christ. Follow after godly examples and look for and observe those who do the same. In the church, there are believers, verse 17, and there are make-believers, verse 18. Which one are you? Is your life marked by one, not by perfection, but by direction, looking to Christ, seeking Him, following Him, pressing on, following after godly examples? Or are you an enemy of the cross of Christ? If that be any of you here this morning, be an enemy no more and come to him. Come to Christ in repentance and faith. Believe on him who is eager and ready and willing and able to save you. And he will. Be an enemy of the cross of Christ no more and repent of your sins and believe in him. And he will save you. He will sanctify you. He will one day glorify you. For those of us who know Christ, we are to continue to press on in our sanctification in Christ's likeness, following after godly examples. We don't do it alone. We all do it together looking to Christ, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who is coming soon to take us all to be to glory with him, who will give us new bodies fit for heaven for eternity, where we can serve and worship him forever. May we continue to pursue Christlikeness. May we continue to eagerly wait and point each other to Christ as we wait for him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your church. Your precious church, Father, that you bled and died for. That you predetermined not only to save, but to sanctify. That you not only sanctify, but will one day glorify. Father, we all in here who know you are being sanctified. May we continue to press on, Lord, through the trials, through the sins, Father, looking to Jesus, looking to godly examples, knowing what it means and looks like to follow you, Lord. Father, none of us in here have made it. None of us in here are perfect. But we press on. And if it not for your grace, Father, we would all fall away, but you hold us through to the very end. Just as you said in your word, Father, you will bring the work you've started in us to completion. And so we rest in that. We hope in that. Not because of anything we do, but because of your working through us, what Christ has already done. Father, if there be anyone in here who doesn't know you, would you save them this very day? Call them to yourself. Save them for their good and your glory. Thank you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.